Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Medical Alert Live Healthy Hour. Um, we're really excited to be back again today with Kenny Mendez from the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, and he'll be discussing back to school, creating a healthy environment for students and staff with asthma and allergies. We're glad that you joined us again. Some of you have joined us before, so welcome back. For those of you who are new, um, we welcome you again to this new event. Um, we have a series of free informational events for our members and, and abroad, <laughs> so we can um, share some really good information with you. Today, I'm going to be your host. I am Melody Howard. I'm the Director of Community Alliances at MedicAlert Foundation, and joining me as co-host is Julie Hilton, our Vice President of Communications. Welcome, Hello, everyone. So our agenda today, we'll talk a little bit about MedicAlert. We'll talk about um, AFA and KFA, kids with food allergies. Um, we'll share with you our new digital asthma action plan. We're really excited to be able to offer this to our members. Um, we'll jump then into our question and answer session with Kenny Mendez, back to school, creating a healthy environment for students and staff with asthma and allergies. And then we'll share some resources for you. So a little bit about MedicAlert. Um, MedicAlert actually is the original ID that was created in 1956 by a local physician in Turlock, California. Um, we're excited because what's so unique about our membership is that we go beyond just an ID. Our IDs are backed by a 24-7 emergency response team. The team is always standing by to relay critical information to those treating you in an emergency. We're the only nonprofit organization in the medical ID space. And so all of our revenues fund our emergency services and help provide IDs and memberships to people in financial need. Our mission for the past 64 years remains unchanged, um, and that is to save and protect lives by sharing vital information in our members' moments of need. So here's a little bit about how the service works. Your medical ID is engraved with the most vital medical information that first responders need to know right away. In an emergency, they contact our 24-7 emergency response team to get your full health record. Your health record includes additional health data and emergency contacts, which we relay to the emergency personnel. We've trained the first responders to look for your medical alert ID, empowering them with vital information. So important that first responders know any existing conditions so that you get the best possible care. Medical alert is your voice when you need us most. Today, again, I'm excited to welcome back Kenny Mendez, President and CEO of Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And Kenny joined us, I believe it was April, May timeframe for our yep. first event. Um, so Kenny graduated from Harvard College and Columbia Business School. He has two children with asthma and allergies. He joined AFA in 2018 to lead a multi-year strategic plan to dramatically reduce the impact of asthma and allergies he served as an external reviewer and patient advocacy expert for the Institute of Clinical and Economic Review. And he's also held leadership roles at Avamed and Trout Unlimited. Welcome, Kenny. Thank you. Great. Well, it, it's great to be back with you. Um, you know, as April seems like a long time ago, we've all been through a lot. Um, but a little bit about AFA, uh, you know, I, I think. We talked about this last time I was in the show, but 
uh, on, on the podcast, but our, uh, we're dedicated to saving lives and uh, reducing the burden of disease for people with asthma and allergies through support, advocacy, education, and um, research. And so that's why this partnership with uh, Medical Alert is so great um, in terms of our, our, the synergy between the two organizations. If you flip to the next slide, we also have KFA, Kids with Food Allergies, which is a division of APA. And what's unique to both of these is that there's an online support community that you could log on to for completely free. It's moderated by staff um, and, and you can ask, ask uh, questions and we could get them answered by our medical scientific board and also get support from others in the community. So encourage everyone to join that. And then um, we also have our toolkit that we're gonna be talking about today and other resources on, on, the, uh, on the site. So thank you and it's great to be back. Well, Kenny, we're so happy to have you back. And since we started this partnership um, early this year, we've been thinking about different ways to provide resources and um, help people stay safe. So if you wanna go to the next slide. Uh, one of the things we're super excited about is that um, we've partnered with, uh, with APA to offer a digital asthma action plan. So um, anybody that has asthma know that your asthma action plan is the cornerstone of um, your, uh, your treatment plan, how things are handled in an emergency, and um, APA's developed a great plan, um, and we took it one step further to make it digital. So you can see that now when you're logged into your medical alert account, actually if you go back one, um, you'll see that the asthma action plan is now available as uh, part of the uh, member health profile. And then when you open that asthma action plan, um, you can input the same information that you would on a standard paper version, um, what medication, you know, who your doctors are, um, preferred hospitals, what medications and instructions um, need to happen at each stage, whether you're in the go yellow zone, uh, green zone, or danger zone, red zone. And uh, in addition, this is always on file with your medical alert records so that in an emergency, um, if you're wearing your medical alert ID, the, we're able to provide this information to emergency personnel treating you if for some reason they don't see that you have a written plan with you. And uh, the other great thing about this is that, you know, it's online, so you can update it any time. You can go to the next page. And uh, it's actually quite simple. There's a button that says, print my asthma action plan. Um, you print it, you can uh, print it, download it, update it. And, um, you know, we encourage you to print it off and keep one with you all the time. But, uh, you know, having that digital backup plan that can be delivered directly to first responders, I think it's a great way to take this whole asthma action plan forward. So we're super excited. This just launched literally today. Um, so we're very, very happy that, uh, that AFA brought us this idea and that we were able uh, to uh, bring it to life. Thank you. Looks great, Julie. Okay, now we're gonna jump right into um, our Q&A. Thanks everyone for all the great questions that you sent to us. Um, we did have a lot, so we'll get through as many as we can. Um, we're gonna answer questions in the following categories, COVID-19 and asthma, school preparedness, lots of questions about masks that we had, um, staying safe at school. 
So for question number one in the category of COVID-19 and asthma, submitted by Daniel, Sarah, and many others, are children with asthma considered high risk or more vulnerable to COVID-19? Are they more likely to have complications if they do become infected? Yeah, Daniel and Sarah, th thank you for that question. And uh, it's been a long road since April and since this all started. So it's a really important question. Here's what we know. According to early data, people with asthma are not currently considered to be at higher risk or more vulnerable to COVID-19. Um, the CDC includes moderate to severe asthma as a possible risk factor, uh, but there's no data to support that right now. So that's really important to know. So that's where some of the confusion might be coming from. Um, it's still extremely important, as we mentioned back in April, to keep your asthma well controlled because if uh, you do catch the virus, it can exacerbate asthma symptoms. Um, so remember, all this data is, is new. There's not a lot out there yet. This could change, and, and we haven't yet uh, seen the possible impact of um, asthma peak week, which we'll be talking about in a second, which historically has been the third week of September or so when kids start to return back to school and um, you know it's allergy season and that all tends to be triggers for asthma. Thank you. So question number two by Carrie, Alina, and Cindy. How do you tell the difference between asthma symptoms and COVID symptoms? Yeah, well, we, we went through this and we've been updating this since April. If you go back and look at the lab, uh, and I think you have them online, we have a symptom chart and maybe you could flip to that uh, for Carrie, Alina, and Cindy right now. If you go to the next slide, I think we've got that there. And you'll see the Spanish and the English versions of this. But we've developed an easy-to-follow symptom chart uh, to address every question you, you have about it um, and determine the differences between um, asthma, COVID-19, the flu, or cold, or seasonal allergies. So you can find this at afa.org slash COVID-19. That's on our website. And you know, one way to think of this is it wet versus dry. Again, you, you wanna be talking to your doctor about all this, but from what's out there and what we've heard in general, if you have a wet or productive cough, shortness of breath or rapid breathing, those symptoms are more than likely related to asthma. Um, uh, wheezing is also a typical symptom of asthma. Um, if you have a dry cough, fever, or a loss of your sense of smell and taste, those are symptoms of the new coronavirus. So you really need to talk to your doctor. But in all cases, you need to be talking to your doctor. But this symptom chart that we're showing here uh, can really help set your mind at ease in terms of what you're feeling. I think too, Kenny, that um, this chart has actually evolved a lot since we saw it in April. And it just goes to show like how new this virus is and how much we're learning about it. And it's great that you guys are continuing to, uh, to make it clear how to differentiate those. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's been, uh, we've been drinking from a fire hose since April because everything's so new. Um, if you remember back in April, and we'll talk about it later uh, in the program here, masks really weren't even uh, part of the discussion, and now they're very much in the mainstream. So th this next category on school preparedness, um, we're all kind of going through that. Um, submitted by Talia and Judy. How do I know it's safe to send my kids with asthma to school? What details should we look for in our district's reopening plans that will protect students and staff with asthma or allergies? 
Uh, Talia and Judy, that's the million dollar question. That's why we're here today. And you know, making these decisions is a personal one for you and your, your, your family. Um, if you go to our toolkit that we've got online, um, our back to school toolkit, there's a lot of guidance in there and things you could be asking. Um, if, you, if you advance to the next slide, I think uh, we've got one there that shows you the graphic and what's available on our website. Um, it's been viewed by thousands of, of, of people. Uh, and so that alone tells you how crucial a resource and important a resource is. So, so I definitely go refer to this. There are checklists in there that schools can use, teachers can use, and then you can use also as a parent if your kid's going back to school. Um, so when you're making the decision about going back to school, you have to do what's most sense, what makes most sense for you and your family in terms of safety. Um, on the next slide, I think if you flip to that, we've included some questions that you can ask the school and perhaps yourself to get some comfort level in terms of how you're gonna manage asthma as well as reduce the spread of COVID-19, whether you're a teacher or, or a parent. One of the things to keep in mind as you're going back to school is trying to look at the, uh, examine the rates of uh, community spread in the community, um, communicate with the school nurse and administrators about their, their pandemic plan. All these things are really important as you make that very personal decision about whether or not it's, it's the right time for you, you uh, your family to go back to school. So this question was submitted by Kristen. Um, she's a teacher with asthma. What if she's required to return to work? How can she protect herself? Should she take leave? Yeah. So again, and there was a lot of news about this. I think there was something on NBC News about a teacher um, actually leaving uh, because of this. And, and again, this is a personal decision depending upon the severity of your asthma. And you should really have those conversations with your doctor and your employer. However, um, there are risk factors, but as I said earlier, not necessarily asthma. The risk factors that are well identified now are age, pre-existing conditions, and overall all health. And some of those pre-existing conditions are obesity, heart disease, diabetes. Um, if you, again, go to our website, afa.org slash COVID-19, you'll see some of those things listed there. So if you have deeper health concerns, I'd say you should chat with your boss or your school administrator about setting up a plan that makes the most sense for you. Uh, and then once you do that, again, just remembering the CDC guidelines, which are physical distancing of at least six feet, wearing a cloth mask or face covering that, that covers your, your nose and mouth throughout the day, vigilant, about washing your hands or using san ha hand sanitizers, which we talked about in April. Um, and the best thing everyone can do right now for your asthma, as we said back in April, is to make it make sure that it's well controlled um, and follow that asthma action plan that you know you saw here and that's on our website. Um, take the medications as directed by your doctor so you don't have any flares. Reduce whatever triggers that you have that uh, uh, affect your asthma. And then the most important thing coming up now, and this will, this is uh, now seasonal, get the flu vaccine. Um, it's more important than ever this year because it's possible to get the, get the flu and COVID-19. So really trying to get that, that flu vaccine will be really important. 
we had a we had a session a few weeks ago with a cardiac specialist about COVID-19 and heart disease. And I'm like, if you have one piece of advice for people, what is it? He's like, get a flu shot. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think you can overestimate how important Absolutely. that is for this fall. Yeah. So our next question submitted by Janet. What documents should be filed with the school to protect our 16-year-old son who has a severe peanut allergy and severe asthma? Yeah. Um, thanks, thanks, Janet. So you're, you're, you and your doctor should develop some sort of a, a school health care plan, and this outlines your child's medical condition and how it should be managed, by, uh, managed at your school. Um, and then again, if you have a peanut allergy or severe asthma, you should have an asthma action plan. You should have an anaphylaxis action plan that might be needed in the school. So th that's all the baseline that you need to pull together with you and your doctor. And then make sure um, you communicate with your doctor about what's best for you and what to have in place when you're in school. And then as you think about school, there, there are really three types of plans, um, an emergency care plan, I think they call it an ECP, that's the acronym, which is a medical plan that you would use based on your discussions with your doctor. There's an individualized healthcare plan, an IHCP, which is a type of nursing care plan, uh, so it involves the school nurse, and then there's a 504 plan, and that's a legal contract with the school and has guidelines for changes to make in the classroom or other areas to provide a safe educational environment for your student if they have asthma or severe peanut allergies. And then the final thing I'd say is from your point of view and from the prep point of view, make sure that you request whatever copies of the school's health forms they have get them early and get them filled out and bring them to your doctor and talk to your doctor about it. Kenny, I know for somebody that has a, a peanut allergy and may uh, carry an EpiPen, is there usually some sort of special permission required to, to carry that? And is there, what, yeah, which one of those forms would cover that? Yeah, many of the states have carry laws and, and you wanna make sure to have your epinephrine on you, your epinephrine auto injector on you all the time. You might need a second one, which is in the school nurse's office or someplace else, but you wanna make sure that um, you clearly have that uh, auto injector with you all the, all the time. And I'd say the same thing for uh, your albuterol, your rescue medication, your in meter dose inhaler, you wanna make sure you have that on you all the time. So again, this gets back to your school plan, talking to the school, making sure you have ready access to all those things. Thank you. So our next question is by Darren. What is the school's responsibility regarding students with 504 plans for asthma and allergies during COVID? Yeah, so, so keep in mind that the policies that are needed to protect all students and staff from COVID-19 might start to take precedence over these Five, uh, these 504 plans. So that, that's where you really need to be um, talking to the school, talking to your doctor, developing that kind of dialogue. So the 504 plan, as I mentioned a second ago, it's, it's a legal contract between the school and the student, and it has guidelines to make changes in the classroom. But with COVID-19 now, those things might change. So for example, um, you know, the 504 plan might specify within that school that there should be no food in the classrooms. But mm -hmm. under COVID-19, meals might be moving into the classrooms. I think we've heard about that. 
So you might need to work with the school on alternatives once that happens. And just a, another reminder is not every child needs a 504 plan. It really depends on the school's policies for managing asthma and allergies uh, and what your child needs to stay healthy in school. So our next question submitted by Christy, also on school preparedness, is what should I make what should I make sure my son's school has in place to prevent asthma allergy flares? Yeah, sure. So a couple of things. One is make sure you have that health care plan that we talked about because that will force the question and you'll be able to have a dialogue with your school. Again, use our uh, COVID-19 and asthma tools toolkit for, for back to school. Again, there'll be questions and checklists in there that will that you can ask your school and develop some comfort level. I, I'd say the other thing is School nurses are critical to safely opening the schools. You know, we, just as an aside, we've been advocating for that on a national basis in terms of uh, policies uh, that are important for, for our country. Um, now, COVID-19 prevention in schools could increase the risk of an as asthma episode or attacks. And the reason why I say that is uh, schools now are going to have chemicals in there, cleaning chemicals that might have scents, and those stronger cleaners and disinfectants uh, might trigger an asthma attack given what the fragrance or what the smells are from that. So that's something that you, you need to keep, uh, keep in mind. Um, another thing is hand washing is really important, um, but children with eczema, for example, um, that frequent hand washing can cause eczema flares. So you need to talk about the school to have moisturizer available um, in addition to their own hand soap. So those, those are things that are important. And then again, getting back to hand washing before or after mealtimes, that's really important. And hand, just a note here to remember, hand sanitizers don't remove food proteins so they could possibly trigger a reaction. So it's really important to have hand washing all the time. That's really important. And then there has been some information about the FDA's announced some recalls on some hand sanitizers. So you just wanna make sure you go look at that and make sure that this, whatever the school has is not something that's part of an FDA recall uh, for a hand sanitizer. Well, let me make sure I understand that. Um, you said that hand sanitizers might not remove food proteins. So you're saying that it may not take away something that could potentially be an allergen for someone Possibly. else? Possibly. That, that's, that's right. I mean, so there's, you know, we've gone back from the start. Washing your hands, um, there, there's no substitute for that. And I would not use... Um, a hand sanitizer as a substitute. I've, I've got, uh, you know, there's some songs online, uh, but it's 20 seconds. You can sing to yourself and there's proper protocols for washing your hand. Um, again, you can find um, those songs or, or that protocol on our website and my favorite song for when I wash my hands. Well, now inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's 20 seconds. So whatever song is 20 seconds. Okay. <laughs> So our next question submitted by Tanya, what's your perspective on distance learning versus hybrid learning for a child that has severe allergies and asthma? Yeah, thanks Tanya. Um, so just things to keep in, in perspective here, schools will look uh, different no matter what. I mean, in terms of their learning environment, that might quickly shift as it did this spring when everyone had to go home. 
Um, and uh, you've got to make choices based on the needs of your entire family. So I just want to make sure you're clear about that. And again, can't stress enough, use our toolkit, go see that on our website, and that can help you th think through that. But I'd say flexibility is pretty important. Everyone needs to be prepared, no matter which learning environment you choose. Um, and again, you need to review your precautions, symptoms, emergency treatment for asthma, anaphylaxis, and any caregivers that are around. So for example, if you happen to be <clears throat> at home and you're distance learning from home and your child's having snacks at home, again, you, know, you just wanna make sure your kitchen, cross-contamination, all the good practices that you have when, they're, they're, uh, when, when you're home, you apply for when they're, if they happen to be learning from a distance. Um, and then again, you know, for our partners here, consider a, a medical alert, a medical alert ID. I think that that's really important. Backstop to have, you saw the information that you could put in the database and it's tied into 911. So I think those things are really important. You know, again, some more perspective, a, a new school year, I always remember those, those days and this, the, the thing in my stomach that I get tightness in terms of going back to school. This is gonna be a challenge and stressful this year. So you really wanna prepare your child ahead of time. And I know a lot of families now are practicing wearing masks ahead of time. So when the child gets to school, they, they can use it and feel comfortable with it. Um, remind your child not to trade or, or, or share masks. Um, and then again, keep in mind what the symptoms are. Look at our symptom chart on our website have those action plans and healthcare plans ready for when you go back to school. So our next question submitted by Jardell and Glenda, how can my child protect herself while in college and living in a dorm? Yeah, Jardell and, and Glenda, I, I love this question only because um, I think of my own kids, um, they're, they're past college. Uh, they, my youngest one just graduated a couple of years ago but I am very much in that mindset and seeing the news about those kids who are in their 20s. Um, and colleges and universities will have their own protocols. Um, and you know, the most important thing for kids, is, as you hear, is, is this social distancing, masks, and avoiding crowds. And so when they leave home and they get to school, a lot of kids is the first time away from school and there's kind of a party scene there. So that's stuff that you really want to be careful about because um, that is, is uh, for safety reasons, given COVID-19, that, that's uh, not a good thing to be partying without a mask and being in, in crowds and enclosed spaces. Um, we've got videos at, on AFA.org on, on our website. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel with a link there to help college students, um, including what to do if you get sick at college. So you can look at that. It has some things on allergies as well. Um, but you know, in, in general, you wanna make sure that they're your kids are prepared to go back to school, having a go bag with essentials again, and then you know, possibly really encourage having a, a, a medical ID like medic, medical alert so folks know um, if you get in a jam there. I think a, an important thing here too is just the, you know, the, the child, she's saying her child, her 18 or 19 year old might not appreciate that, but um, you know, your child being able to advocate for themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, help make other people aware of their condition and explain why they're wearing a mask when nobody else is and, uh, you know, taking ownership of it. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. And that's, that's uh, actually very clever because that's the best way um, to get through to your kids at that age, probably. Agree. 
So our next question submitted by Brenda and Nancy on the category of masks. Should children with asthma and severe allergies be wearing masks? And will long-term mask wearing while teaching exacerbate my asthma? Yeah, thank you, Brenda and, and Nancy. I mean, the first off, the ma wearing masks um, is a best practice now, and, and, and it reduces the spread of COVID-19, which is kind of what we're in the middle of right now. Um, it, it's, it's, it's key to helping with this uh, pandemic right now. So just remember, most people, and this is a good check for those of you with asthma, most people with asthma, including children two and older, should be able to wear a face mask covering <clears throat> without any issues. Um, and so if you are having issues breathing with that, that mask, A, you know, try a different material. And we've got, again, links on our website uh, and a blog that talks about how to make a mask and what the different alternatives are. But a mask shouldn't impair your breathing um, for people with well-controlled asthma, uh, even if worn for long periods. So that's important to realize. And so if you are struggling with that, it might be time to have a discussion with your, your doctor to see whether your asthma is under control. So our next question submitted by Nancy. Um, since we have to wear face masks, will they help minimize allergies and exposure to allergens? Yeah, thank you, Nancy. Um, yeah, a face mask uh, or covering may reduce your exposure to some allergens, such as pollen and dust mites. Um, it won't filter out all the allergens, but may offer some benefit um, uh, and in addition to reducing other allergens in your, in your household. So I think that, you know, they definitely have a benefit. Most important thing though is wash your face masks uh, or coverings after each use in hot water uh, to remove any allergens or potentially any coronavirus particles that happen to be on them. I know we had a question uh, from people about disposable masks too and if, if it was okay to reuse disposable no. masks or to wash them. So yeah, we're just gonna say categorically no. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a no. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But maybe the maybe the reduction of allergens is a little bit of a silver lining for some people. Yeah, definitely. So our next question submitted by Amy, Erica, and Margaret: Do you have a mask recommendation for kids with asthma, and are certain kinds better, cloth or disposable? Yeah. So so I'd say the best mask is the one that fits your child well and they'll use and is comfortable and they'll use all the time. So you may need to try some different types. So some might be better for, for th than others for, for some, but the most important thing is that they wear it and then they're comfortable with it. And then again, make sure it covers your nose and your mouth and chin without any gaps um, so it doesn't slide down. Um, the other trick you could do is you could hold the mask up to a light and if you could see through it, it might not provide enough protection. That's a little tip that we have on our, on our website um, and our APA blog. So again, use a new or clean face mask um, every time you go out. So, you know, wash those. Um, make sure that um, you, you cover your face, as I just mentioned. And then uh, per the question that you just asked, uh, throw away those disposable face masks they're supposed to be thrown away. And then make sure you wash any ones that are supposed to be reusable in hot water. Great, thank you. 
So question 13, also about masks, Nancy, Elizabeth, and Melinda ask, how long should a mask be worn before a break? And are there other options for educators with asthma required to wear masks in the school building? Yeah, Nancy, Elizabeth, and Melina, Melinda, that's an interesting question. And, and as I looked at this, kind of thought through it, and, and there's no standard for how often you should take a break while wearing a face mask. But think about it when you eat, um, uh, when you drink, you're going to have to take your face mask off. So, and you're supposed to hydrate for good health on a regular basis. So that might be a signal to you or some pacing for uh, when you might want to remove your, your mask. But, you know, another good idea, especially for students, is um, if you can get outside uh, to have a no mask break. So um, if you could stay six feet apart, preferably outside, um, then that might be a way to kind of work in the pacing of a mask break. Uh, you, you're going to have to have breaks for when you have uh, snacks and meals. So that's another opportunity for a break. If you get dizzy or have trouble breathing, um, you know, distance yourself from anyone that you're nearby and remove your mask right away so you can get some breathing in. Just really need to figure out what might be triggering that. Um, and again, people, should, people with asthma should try different types of face masks um, to find the ones that are most comfortable for them uh, than that they'll, they'll use all the time. I think what you were saying earlier, that if the asthma is well controlled um, and they have a mask that's comfortable, it shouldn't be in interfering with their breathing. And you, you wouldn't necessarily need a break for those purposes, maybe just because it's hot or your ears hurt or yeah. <laughs> something. So our next question submitted by DL, what are my legal rights for accommodation? Yeah, thanks DL. So those with asthma are covered under the ADA, the American with Disabilities Act. Um, so you can ask for reasonable accommodations uh, at, at, at your workplace uh, or within the classroom. Um, so the wrinkle on that is the requests can't create a hardship for the employer. Uh, so the accommodations can't cause harm for other people. So let me give you an example. A pers person with asthma is coughing and not wearing a mask might be expressing COVID-19, if they happen to have it, um, to other people. So, you know, by saying I can't wear a mask because of I have asthma, and then you start coughing, you know, th that's where you run up against the ADA. So um, you really need to talk to your school about that. Um, and if you're required to wear a mask, again, try, as, as I said earlier, try different ones that are comfortable for you. We've got info on our blog about that. And um, talk to your supervisor or HR representative about it because there might be some creative ideas to work around it. Have you seen, uh, to the earlier question about are there other options, I guess, besides masks, have you seen um, any schools that have accepted, say, a um, face shield instead of a mask for somebody that might have breathing issues? Yeah, I, I know it's out there, and, and what we've said is the face shield is probably not the best practice because, um, you know, stuff could get out from, from underneath. Um, so that, that's, uh, uh, that alone is not protective. And, and remember, the, the face shield and the, the, the mask, the idea is to prevent uh, spread and also a minimal amount of contraction as well. So um, a, a face shield alone isn't isn't protective. And I, I'm not sure what other school districts 
have, have going, but um, that's clearly kind of what our position is and what we advise the community on. Got it. So question 15 in the category of staying safe at school submitted by Maya, what are the most common allergens in a school building? Yeah, Maya, so uh, mold, dust mites, uh, especially in clutter, uh, pests like rodents and cockroaches. So if there's a pet hamster in the room, that's probably not, not a good thing. Um, carpeting as well can, can have um, allergens in it. The dust mites can be in there. Um, so I think th those are the most common ones in the trigger. If there's a if there's a pest problem in the school, we really advise that uh, harsh pesticides and chemicals shouldn't be used. And they should take a kind of an integrative approach to pest management there. The EPA actually has an indoor air quality tools for schools toolkit. And I think we might have a link on that to our website as well. Um, so. Schools really need to be proactive about pest control and removing all the things that might cause pests in the classroom. You know, leaks, mold, remove trash daily, wipe, wipe down sinks and counters, uh, don't store stuff in cardboard boxes because roaches can trigger asthma attacks and, and, and uh, roaches eat glue. So that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's interesting because we have a lot of educators on the line today. And as they're thinking about, you know, what do I, what can I do? What's within my control to help yeah. the students in my classroom stay safe? You know, reducing clutter and, and making sure that uh, surfaces are sanitized is something definitely they can do that's proactive. Yeah, thank you. A a absolutely. And, and again, if you look at our toolkit, um, you'll find some things in there. And these, those are things that you could definitely control. So thanks, thanks for that reminder. Question 16, submitted by Elizabeth, Amanda, and others. Can cleaning and disinfectant products create an environmental issue at school as potential triggers for students with asthma? And what are recommended disinfectants to use in a school setting that will minimize asthma exacerbation? Yeah, so I think I mentioned this a second ago, but um, the, the uh, cleaning products with harsh chemical smell or added fragrance, yes, that, that can clearly be irritating to airways. Um, it contributes to poor indoor air quality and can lead to more asthma sy sy symptoms. So that, that can definitely be an issue. We know that cleaners like rubbing alcohol and, and hydrogen peroxide can be less irritating and, and kill virus when, when used proper, properly. So that's maybe something to talk about with your school. Um, you know, just a couple other tips here, just avoid aerosol cleaners. Again, you know, that, that is something that could be triggered gets in the air. Um, air any areas that, that are being cleaned should be well ventilated. Uh, teachers and staff shouldn't bring their own cleaning or disinfecting products because there's a risk of mixing chemicals. You want to leave that to the professionals. Um, and again, children shouldn't be allowed to, to, uh, to clean any hard services or doing any of that stuff in the school building. So those are just kind of the things that we think about um, in going back to school. And again, if you, if you look at our toolkit, there'll be some things in there that you could be asking or thinking about in order to have a dialogue with your school and get some comfort level about going back to school. So our next question submitted by Lauren, can air purifiers be helpful? And is there one you recommend? Yeah, Lauren, Lauren, thank you. Indoor air quality, I, you know, they, the acronym is IAQ. That, that's really important. So 
allergens, asthma triggers, chemicals, and VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds, are, are common in many school buildings uh, and can create poor indoor air quality. So definitely having a, and, and they can lead to asthma symptoms, uh, which lead to missed school days and even hospitalization. Uh, and children who miss school obviously will uh, struggle and fall behind. So. You know, I appreciate your question because that's the perspective that we have when we talk about this. Um, so yes, um, having uh, an air cleaner inside is, is important. We've got, a, we've got a certification program and they're certified asthma and allergy friendly air cleaners that um, you could have in the classrooms. If you look at our website, there's a link to those certified asthma and allergy friendly uh, cleaners. You wanna make sure that your air cleaners don't have um, an ionizer or ozone functions or turn those off because ozone can trigger an asthma, uh, trigger asthma and they're not proven to remove uh, any of the new coronavirus from the air. So again, more info in our toolkit on that. So our next question by Pam and Kim. With COVID precautions, students will be eating in classrooms. What steps should we take to ensure students and staff with food allergies are safe? Yeah, Pam, Claire, and Kim. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mentioned that earlier on, so, so thanks for re-emphasizing that. I think we've got a slide here, if you could flip to the next one, where um, what experts recommend here uh, for, for back to school and allergies in light of new COVID-19 uh, policies. We had 16 food allergy experts release these recommendations for how to handle food allergies uh, in light of the new COVID-19 policies. Again, we've got information on our website on this. We'll, we'll spend a, a second here so you guys could read through this because I think it's, it's really important. Um, again, the CDC guidance for re reopening schools during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic called out food allergens specifically and, and keeping in mind food allergies when you have your kids returning back to school. Uh, some of that CDC guidance recommends eating meals outdoors um, or in the classroom with physical distancing rather than a communal dining hall or cafeteria. So those are the things to keep in mind. But here's what the uh, experts recommend uh, in terms of going back to school with food allergies. And um, Again, we will have a link on this and this will be recorded in this webinar so you can go back to it. I mean, this is really, you know, schools have spent years trying to um, set up safe spaces for people with food allergies and um, having to go back to the drawing board on all of those plans, I'm sure is challenging both for educators and for parents and students as well. So our next question submitted by Daniel, Aaron, and Eric, how to handle school concern with coughs due to asthma and allergies, not COVID-19, without repeated testing doctor clearances? And how are schools going to assess students that are showing symptoms of allergies, flu, or COVID? Yeah, so, so you'll, again, you'll, you'll need to check with your district about their, their protocols with COVID-19. They might do temperature checks or symptom screening um, I would, again, just for your own peace of mind, whether you're a teacher or a student, you know, refer back to our symptoms chart to help identify whether it's asthma, allergies, flu, common cold, or COVID-19. 
Um, and, and sometimes screening isn't enough since you can spread these kind, that kind of screening isn't enough uh, because you can't be asymptomatic and spread virus without symptoms. So you still need to practice physical distancing, wearing masks and, and hand washing. And then again, with um, the potential for peak week coming in September, third week in September, that has an impact on adults and children. And um, you know, there, there's exposure to asthma and allergy triggers like ragweed, pollen, uh, that, that can lead to a respiratory infection. You've got dust and mold in school biz buildings. So all those things you wanna keep an eye on. And so it's really important to keep your allergies and asthma well controlled uh, and follow that asthma action plan and, and definitely take your medications as, as directed. So our next question submitted by Paula, will using nebulizers or rescue inhalers in school cause spread of COVID-19? Yeah, Paula, that, that's a really important question and that, that has been with us since um, in the March, April timeframe because uh, the CDC said that nebulizers um, were not appropriate anymore for use for, for uh, the administration of the rescue medication albuterol because it aerosolizes the albuterol and that could possibly spread uh, the coronavirus. Uh, albuterol was used as a rescue medication if you have uh, asthma or other lung symptoms. So um, having a meter dose inhaler, uh, a quick relief inhaler and spacer uh, is really important. And that's kind of the best practice guideline right now from the CDC. You need to have that available quickly. So that's something for what we said earlier that you would want to carry uh, with you. Uh, and then also make sure that, you know, with all the paperwork, the plans that you're going to have and discuss with the school that uh, it's in an emergency medicine kit kept by the school as well. Uh, ask them to do that. There's a sample letter in our uh, back to school toolkit that'll help you navigate that uh, and have that discussion with your school. Um, and um, if, you, uh, if you don't have your own spacer, um, uh, there are ways to use other types of holding cha chambers, but um, anything that's used in the school should really be disposable if it's administer administering uh, any kind of um, albuterol. I think there was a um, concern early in this and that nebulizers specifically um, could cause potential spread of the virus just based on the mechanism of how they work. Yeah, de de definitely. We, we experienced some, um, I think your community may or may not know this, but early on, there was a, uh, a run on al uh, albuterol, the meter, meter dose inhalers, and there was a bit of a shortage on that um, <clears throat> because they switched over from nebulizers to um, the meter dose inhaler. So all the hospitals were actually using those in the emergency rooms and in emergency treatment. So there was a shortage on that. We've been in dialogue with the manufacturers, the providers, and, and with the FDA to make sure that um, there are adequate supplies. We are concerned about back to school, so we want to make sure we keep an eye out on that. And we've mentioned that to the FDA and to other manufacturers. So, you know, the other thing I'd say here, as you're looking at back to school, make sure you get your prescriptions with your doctor and your medications and, and you have access to that. If you hear of any shortages or if you're having trouble, uh, getting your me medications, please let us know. 
um, because that's something that we're keenly um, monitoring and want to be able to have a discussion with the FDA as folks start to get back, go back to school. Great. Um, we have a question that's come up a few times in the chat, so I'm going to go a little off script and ask you about this. Um, but people keep asking, is there such a thing as a, a no, I, well, hit you with a question that we didn't prepare you for. Um, is there such a thing as a mask waiver or a mask exemption? Um, well, the, the best, you know, the best practice is to wear a mask. And it probably will depend on the school or where, where you're at. I think we've, we've covered the gamut here. You know, in general, you want to be wearing a mask. Um, and if you can't find a mask that works, you know, try to look at our website and use another one. I mean, this is a best practice. And the other thing I just, again, reemphasize, because I'm, you know, just for where that question might be coming from, if you are struggling to breathe through a mask, uh, then it could be that your asthma is not well controlled, so you ought to be talking to your doctor. But the best practice right now is to wear a mask, and that will help reduce the spread, um, protect others with respect to COVID-19. Another, another interesting question that came up that it speaks to some of the work that AFA is doing is um, at the very top of the hour, we talked about um, asthma not necessarily being an added risk factor for people with COVID-19. And a point was made in the chat that, um, that that seems to be based on data where it's coming from other countries, not as much from the U.S. And in the U.S., there's a higher percentage of people that are uh, African-American or Latino who, are, who have asthma. And that uh, we, do we think that that's still going to hold true that in the U.S., the uh, asthma still won't be a factor for those populations. Yeah, so, so there are a couple of things that come to mind. W one is some of that data does come from the U.S. Uh, it's still a very new virus, so there's not a lot of information out there. So I, I think when you do, when people look at research and they look at studies, I think they clearly look at where the data is coming from. But if that data is available right now, that's the best that we have right now. So, so I think, you know, there's clearly, um, I think, as the media reports and as an organization, we'll be coming out with a asthma disparities report. But for what everyone's hearing, certain populations getting disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, we say this, we see the same things in asthma. So we're very much in tune with that and appreciate the, pop the subpopulations that are being affected by COVID-19 and by asthma. So, so we, we care about that. But we also have to go by what science is out there. And this is very new and the limited science that's out there right now is that um, there's not a lot of data, but there, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you have asthma, you're more predisposed to getting COVID-19 or having worse outcomes. Fair enough. So looks like that is all of our questions and we are rolling on QR resources. Sure, I mean, I think this is the most important thing because I might not have covered everything or covered all your, all your questions, but if, if you um, go to our website, um, we've got a ton of resources there. So this is resources for back to school with students and staff with asthma and allergies. And you'll see the hyperlinks here um, 
COVID-19 and asthma toolkit for schools. So that's kind of what we published and what the theme is here. But then we also have other tools there for when you're going back to school. So this, you know, selfishly, this isn't just about COVID-19. We want to make sure that the community out there knows that we have um, other information out there. So simple thing, afa.org slash schools, you'll, you'll be able to find a lot of this. But we have information there helping students manage asthma in the school, how COVID-19 could affect um, school healthcare plans for asthma and allergies. Some of those questions came up. We have a blog post about that. And then again, there were specific questions about forms. So we have a link on there about what forms do you need for, for school if your child has asthma. So all this is available on our website. And again, we've, we have an online community. I, I think we'll probably have a couple of slides on that. I can't push that enough because that's why, that's what we do. We're a nonprofit. We want to support the community, get the right information out there. Uh, and all these resources can be found on our, our website. Um, maybe you go to the next slide. Yeah, so uh, again, uh, yeah, more, uh, more information now on COVID-19. This, this is pivoting a little bit away from back to school, but just other information for you all on uh, COVID-19, what people with asthma need to know. And it's funny because we were together, um, Melody and Julie, back in April, and we have constantly updated that with the new information that folks need to know uh, about COVID-19 and asthma. Um, uh, part of that update is uh, face masks and coverings. That was, again, as I mentioned earlier, this is so new. When we first had that uh, webinar with, with our community here, that was not even discussed really back, I think, in, in late April. So it's amazing how things have really evolved and changed. And I just have to stress that the face mask thing is health policy, and that's what we're trying to promote here. So you'll find more information about that on our website. And we did cover this back in late April. Cleaning your hands with soap and, and water is really the best practice for protecting yourself from, from COVID-19 and other illnesses, whether it's the, the flu or a cold, but washing your hands for 20 seconds, scrubbing them. Again, pick your favorite song that lasts for 20 seconds. There's, I think there's a link on our website about that. Um, and then Hand sanitizer is okay, but it's not a preference. You could use that as a backup. We talked a little bit about how allergens, hand sanitizer doesn't always solve the issue with respect to food allergens. And uh, I think we did talk about this last point uh, in April is don't stop using your asthma medication. I think back in April when we were talking, there was a lot of misinformation uh, about um, oral steroids or steroid use and COVID-19. And you know the most important thing is our, our doctor said, who's chairman of our, our medical scientific council, practicing allergist is take your asthma medications. The last thing you wanna do is end up in the hospital or the emergency room with an asthma attack. Go to the next slide. Um, so on the pivoting to the food allergy side of things and uh, eczema, you'll see that we've got on our KFA website, uh, kidswithfoodallergies.org, uh, we've got a post there on manage, managing food allergies during the coronavirus, uh, and there's a lot of good information there. Uh, just so your community knows, the FDA came out with a guidance just uh, over back in Memorial Day about allergens and 
the food supply chain and there was some panic in the in the marketplace about food labeling. We've got information on that just to set everyone straight and, and not to panic about any of that stuff. The other thing I think I mentioned um, earlier is that eczema um, is, is, uh, could be an issue in terms of extensive hand washing uh, with respect to coronavirus and protecting your skin. So we've got some tips on our Apple blog on that as well. Question about the food allergies, Kenny. Um, I remember in April, one of the things that was a concern was that uh, certain foods that were safe for people, like things that they knew and trusted uh, that didn't have allergens were hard to find and harder to find uh, early on in this pandemic. Has that changed at all? Or where do people go to find options to things they're not able to get their hands on? Yeah, I mean, I think there are still supply chain issues in, in, in the food supply chain. I think it's really important to, you know, I would just say a couple things. One is um, if you have food allergies, you really wanna be working with your doctor and get educated about food allergies and um, what you can eat and what you can eat. I think your biggest comfort will be working with your doctor on that. And then going out and trying to read the food labels that are out there for the products that are out there. I, I can't stress that enough. There's some real issues with the state of food labeling now uh, in the US and we're trying to work on that. I mean, it would be great if we could all know what allergens in our are in our food in specific you know, concentration levels in the same way uh, the labels say how much salt is in or how much fat or how many calories are in. We'd love to see that um, for food allergies in the future because I think that would really help folks. But I think the most important thing is to um, really work with your doctor and think about, understand what the foods are that you can eat and then how to navigate that when you're in the store. I guess you go to the next side. So, you know, we've got, um, I mentioned this earlier, but I can't, again, stress this enough. This is, this is our bread and butter here. It, it, it's our online communities. And there you'll be able to connect with others uh, to manage your conditions. If you have asthma, allergies, uh, food allergies, any allergic skin conditions, there's an active message board there that we moderate. You could go to afa.org slash join. It's password protected, and it's all kind of safe and compliant. So I'd really encourage everyone to go there. There you could get updates on asthma and allergy, uh, news and research, and um, you'll connect with others who uh, want to advocate for folks with asthma and allergies. Uh, we might call on you to help us out in some cases, but it's also a great resource for you. It's, it's really, um, uh, you're not alone out there. We're there to support you, and this online community, is the best way to do it. So I'd really encourage everyone to go to alpha.org slash join and there's just a lot of resources there and, and folks to help you out. Oh yeah, in our online learning, uh, I'll put a little plug here. In case you wanna learn more, uh, we've got some online courses there. Uh, again, this'll help you with this concept of shared decision-making if you're going in with your doctor um, so you can get better educated about your, your, uh, your, your condition. Uh, the best patients are the ones who are most educated. So there's some online courses there, um, self-paced learning, interactive courses. And uh, for most people, I think it's free of charge. If you go to the next slide, I think you'll, you'll see if there is a next slide. Um, these are what the courses look like. Uh, asthma care for adults, severe asthma care for uh, adults. 
there's one that you have to pay for, but I think that you uh, that's targeted at uh, uh, therapists, respiratory therapists and nurses to get uh, continuing education and credits for that. But the other things are self-paced courses, incredibly helpful for you as you're entering this field um, or, or entering this kind of this community. Or even if you've been in it for a while, you know, two of my three kids have had uh, food allergies and asthma, and I just find this stuff really helpful because the information is changing all the time. One last piece here, I, I think, uh, if this is the last slide, uh, recipes, uh, can't, can't not, I, I have to plug this because there are some great recipes on there. Safe East, they're all tested. Um, and uh, this has been kind of um, our, our bread and butter also in terms of uh, a resource that we provide completely free to the community. So you could go in there uh, if you're working uh, from, from, from home, uh, or if you're doing homeschooling, uh, again, having these kinds of resources there are helpful. You could even kind of do the recipes together with your kid. And again, that's to try and get them to feel comfortable with their allergies, that there are alternatives for, the, for them out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I encourage you to uh, visit our website and look at uh, kidswithfoodallergies.org slash recipes and see the database that, that, that's there. Wonderful. You could turn it into a science project. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Kenny. And in addition to all the great resources that he just talked us through, um, I want to just talk a little bit about the Medical Alert COVID Resource Center. This is a place where we've gathered information from trusted sources that speaks to specific uh, chronic illnesses. So you'll find uh, links to AFA for information about asthma, but if you have some other type, diabetes, heart disease, adrenal insufficiency, hemophilia, any other type of chronic condition, um, we've collected very specific information there for you. So we encourage you to visit that. Um, we also keep that up to date and add to it on a regular basis. If you enjoyed uh, today, uh, we've had a number of recent Healthy Hour events that range across a lot of different topics, caregiving, COVID-19, stress and anxiety, heart disease, diabetes. So um, all of these are available for replay on the website at this uh, site luncheon here. And uh, this replay of this particular session will be up uh, tomorrow as well. So if you have anything you want to go back and listen to, um, we'll provide that uh, link for you. You'll also receive an email as the follow-up to this that has a lot of the links to the pieces that Kenny talked about here. And, and you'll uh, go. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. I'm just gonna say before we go into the survey, I just want to one more time say thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Afa, for being such great partners with us. And um, from what I'm seeing in the chat, people found this just incredibly helpful and uh, informative. So thank you for, for being so prepared and bringing such great information. Right. Thank, thank you. It's, uh, it's a team effort here. We've got a whole staff at AFA who have helped put this information together. And uh, there's more where that came from. So please go to AFA.org slash join. We love the partnership with Medical Alert. I think that what you guys do is, is so important. And um, thanks for having us. Thank you. And with that, we'll launch the poll. Um, so if you don't mind giving us some feedback, we'd really love to hear um, your, your feedback about our session today. So give you a few moments to um, 
complete that survey. But if you enjoyed today's session, please consider making a donation to Medical Alert Foundation. Um, your donation actually helps to power our 24-7 emergency response services, our first responder outreach, sponsored memberships for those in need, and our educational program. And we do have a special link, medicalert.org slash give today. We appreciate your consideration of that. Thanks so much for joining. Um, we hope you join us on our next Healthy Hour. Um, keep watching our website for that information. We appreciate you so much and have a fantastic day and stay safe. Right. Thank you, Melody. Thank you. Thanks, Bye.